Amen. Amen. You can take a seat. Awesome. Well, good morning. It is so cool to be here at our Meroy campus. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name's Phil. I'm one of the pastors here at, at True North uh, on a Sunday morning. I'm normally at Malalu. But what a privilege to be here at our Meroy campus. Thank you, Michelle, for having me. I know it was a, a deep wrestle. Do I get this Phil guy? He's a bit of a loose cannon, but, but eh, not really. Not really. We're friends. Um, right? Yep. Yep. Now, we're going to have a great morning this morning. We're going to be continuing our series in the book of Daniel. Was anyone here last week for Daniel chapter 1? Yeah, a few people. Pretty good, right? Good good start to the series. I love the, the book of Daniel, the story of Daniel. And, of course, through Daniel chapter 1, we see Daniel taken out of Israel, out of Judah, into captivity in Babylon to be trained as a Babylonian official under Nebuchadnezzar. We see that even though he goes through all of that, he remains completely devoted to his God. And through that, God increases his influence, his ability, and at the start of Daniel chapter 2, we see Daniel in a place of prominence within this kingdom that just a few years ago, he was taken into as essentially a slave, and we see God's hand at work through the story of Daniel in such a powerful way. And we're going to continue that this morning in Daniel chapter 2. You guys ready? Who's got a Bible here this morning? Maybe on a phone, maybe on a tablet. Anyone got an actual paper Bible? Is it just the one? We got, we got one, we got two. Man, life has changed. But, you know, I do, love, I do love a paper Bible as I stand here with my, you know, my tablet going on. There is, I do like the Bible, though. You can kind of shake it with a bit more force. With a tablet, it's just risky. You're going to hit someone, it's going to fling over. But at the center, at the center of Daniel chapter 2, we have a dream that shakes through the kingdom of Babylon. So I would say dream. Dreams are weird, right? Is anyone here a dreamer? You have an active dream life. You dream a lot of dreams. Come on, give me a wave if you're a dreamer. Uh, some dreams, they're just crazy, right? Has anyone had a crazy dream and you just wake up and you're like, what the heck was that all about? I often have a flying dream. Are there any flying dreamers here? Yeah, how good is a good flying dream? Who's in control of their flying dreams? Can you like decide where you want to go? Like veer left, veer right, go in for a landing? I occasionally have those dreams. It is like the best thing ever. But my flying dreams, they've got a weird twist. I'm not actually flying like Superman style. I'm kind of doing breaststroke. But anyone had that? It's like, it's the weirdest thing. I'm aware that I'm asleep. I'm like, I'm asleep right now. This is a dream. And I just start doing breaststroke up. And I just start, you know, doing my thing. And, you know, some people tell me that dreams have meaning attached to them. I have no idea what the meaning is of a breaststroke flying dream. But if anyone's got experience in that, I'd love to talk to you about it after because I have it a little too often. You know, another dream that causes me some grief, this actually happens, well, I say quite regularly. It's happened enough times for it to be anchored in my memory. My wife will, will get up in the morning and she say, I had a dream. And I was like, oh no, <laughs> what's this going to be? And she often has this dream, right, that we've gone back in time and that we're just dating, right? So we, we've been married 10 years now. She's like, it, it is 10 years, right? Can anyone validate? I'm pretty sure I'm, I'm at the wrong campus for someone to tell me how long I've been married to my wife. But it... It sounds about right. I think it's 10 years. But she'll have this dream that we're dating and that we broke up. And she tells me, I'm like, what does that mean? 
We, we are happily married, right? That, that's what's going on here. And, and, you know, despite the insecurity that caused me, she then goes on to say, no, I was, I was so sad. And what I choose to believe is that she just can't bear the thought of not being with me. So sometimes she has these dreams that kind of, that, that sounds about, I think so. A- actually, you, do you want to hear something weird? I've been thinking about dreams this week. I actually had a dream last night. And I, and I woke up, I was like, you, can't, you cannot plan this stuff. And, and I actually had a dream about Pastor Michelle. This is, this is, this is, you know, this is a weird dream. And, you know, it's been women's retreat this weekend. Anyone had a great time, women's conference? Wow, come on. And guess what, men, we're invited to our first women's conference tonight. That's true, right? We can all come. So if you ever wondered, if you've been in church world for a long time, you're like, I wonder what it would be like in a women's conference. Has any guys thought that? I, I've genuinely thought that. I was like, what goes on when they all get together and do stuff? Tonight, we get to find out. So men, feel free to, to come and be a part of that. It's going to be a great night. But anyway, I had this dream about Michelle, right? This is, this is an odd dream. And, and I don't think this is a spiritual dream, but we can talk after if you think it might be. M- Michelle, I'd find out, I found out that she'd been at, this is a dream. This didn't really happen. That she'd been out all night catching mussels. Right? Have you guys ever done that, Jeff? No, not, not like, you know, not that you were working out, like doing sit-ups and stuff, but actually catching little mussels. And then you'd brought them to church, and then you were preparing them and selling them after the service through the cafe. <laughs> Proverbs 31, there it is. But then I was like, Michelle, you can't be doing this every Saturday night, going fishing all night and then looking after everyone. It's, like, it's too much. It's too much. Anyway, that was the, a weird Michelle dream I had last night, so... I know Michelle has an incredible work ethic, but if you get to the point where you're fishing all night, let's, uh, Jeff, will keep an eye on that, then we may have gone too far. I, I had other dreams as well, but I won't go into it. I feel I've spent too much time here already. She's like, yep, thank you, Beth. Get back to the Bible. I will do exactly that. So Daniel 2, it's got this dream at its center. Now, dreams often, they can be an expression of stresses that were sometimes experienced. Anyone had a dream like that before? Maybe you've got a a project at work, something in your life that you're facing, and you'll have a weird dream that's almost like its way of expressing in your subconscious. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 has a dream a little bit like this. He's a man of power. He's conquered kingdoms. And like all men who take power by force, they live with a fear that that power will be taken away. And he has a dream with that at its center about kingdoms rising and falling. And it sends just shockwaves throughout the officials of Babylon as the king lands on what he's going to do with this dream. So are we ready to get into the Bible? Or would you like me to tell you another story about a dream I had? Let's get into the Bible. <laughs> Daniel chapter 2, verses 10 to 11. And here's, uh, actually, let me, let me set this up a little bit first. So the, the king, he has, he has this dream that causes him, that causes him some stress, that causes him to, to really begin to worry about his kingdom. And then what he does, he gathers all of the wise men of the kingdom, a group that now Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are a part of. He gathers them together, and he says, I have, I've had this dream, and I want you to tell me the meaning of the dream that I've had. But King Nebuchadnezzar, he's really serious about this. He's really intent on making sure that the wise men of Babylon aren't just making something up. You're like, okay, King, here's what I think this means. He's not interested in any of that. And he says, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm not even going to tell you the dream that I had. I want you to tell me what I dreamt, and then I want you to interpret it for me. That's a pretty messed up request, right? It's a pretty messed up request, 
And here's how the wise men, they respond to the king, beginning in verse 10. The astrologers answered the king, there is no one on earth who can do what the king asks. Reasonable response. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer, the different words that they had for the wise men. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods. Someone say little g. Little g gods. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar, Babylon, they lived in a polytheistic I always say that word wrong. I was like, I'm not even going to try and say it. I got it wrong at Malu, got it wrong again. But anyway, they lived in a culture where they believed there were many gods, little g gods. Hold on to that phrase. It's going to be important in this passage. No one can reveal it to the king except the little g gods, and they do not live among humans. No, they do not. This made the king, here's his response, so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon, which of course included Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, Daniel faces a problem that is both personal to him and is also a shared problem of a wider community. Daniel faces a situation that is unjust, that is broken, and that at his heart is really evil. He faces this situation And really, when you hear that setup, you hear what the king's asking, it's an impossible situation. It's an impossible situation that Daniel, together with the wise men of Babylon, face as the king has made this unjust, harsh decree. Now, there's some things that we've got to remember about Daniel as he faces this unique problem, this unique challenge. We learned through chapter one that Daniel, through his devotion to God, has an increase of both ability and influence. You'll remember some of these verses from last week. I'm going to take them to you again. Daniel chapter 1, verses 17 and 20. Let's remember what God did in the life of Daniel and the three friends. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And Daniel, in particular, could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So we see that Daniel had a unique ability graced on his life from God, unique to the challenge that he now faced. And then in verse 20, we're reminded, in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them 10 times better. Someone say 10 times. 10 times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. So Daniel faces an impossible situation. But we can also infer that from those two verses, there is no one better placed to step up to face that challenge than Daniel himself. He's 10 times better than any of the other wise men of Babylon. Perhaps they were even beginning to look to him at this young point in his life. That God in particular had graced him to interpret dreams and their meanings. And now here, the interpretation of a dream is at the center of whether a wider, a wider community of the wise men of Babylon experience execution or are able to do what the king asks. You know, sometimes in life, we'll come up against situations in our own context that seem impossible, that seem too big for us to be able to handle. Sometimes we'll face things and we'll say, how can I be an expression of God's kingdom in this situation? Maybe it's personal to your life. Maybe it's broader in our community, our country, and our world. Sometimes it can seem impossible 
to overcome. Sometimes it can seem impossible to be the voice of hope. Sometimes it can seem impossible to actually bring God's love into a broken world and a broken situation. And so we, like Daniel, we've got to decide if we're going to be the kind of people that step up or step back in those moments. You know, for a a long time, I've been a, a big fan of the game of basketball. I've been playing for what, 15 years, something like that. And and I remember this one particular domestic competition we were playing in. And we were kind of playing in a grade where if you had someone tall on your team, you did really, really well. So it's kind of like a lower grade. And we were playing a grade where there was a few taller guys, like most team would have like one tall dude. Any basketball fans here, just so I know how long to dwell on this story. Not, not very long by the, by the look of it. I'm getting some gestures from the, yeah, keep it going. Anyway, so, so this particular league we were playing in, there was this one team that had this crazy tall guy. He was like six foot seven, pretty competent. And, and in those lower grades, when everyone is about my height, that is just a dominant force. But anyway, we managed to get to a grand final where we were versing this team that had this huge guy. Now, we had one guy on our team who was pretty big. He wasn't, you know, 6'7 big. He was about 6'4, something like that, and, you know, a pretty broad, strong dude. And and as we were doing our team layups, you know, when you're playing basketball, you're getting warmed up before the game, you, you know, run around a little bit, and getting ready for the big game, and I'm kind of looking at the other side of the court as you do, sizing up the competition, looking at this huge dude, I'm like, geez, I'm glad we've got a big center as well. And then we get this text message from our center, who I wasn't going to name him, but as it turns out, I'm carrying more bitterness than I thought I had. His name was Kieran. And he texted me, and he said, I'm not coming. Now, like, it's warm-ups, man. The game's starting in five minutes. And he said, I got a free ticket to the Dockers. <laughs> They're like, what? You're going to the Dockers instead of playing a grand final? It didn't compute in my mind at all. I wasn't an AFL fan at the time, still not. But I'm like, what? What do you mean you're not coming? He's our biggest guy by far. Like the next tallest guy on our team was me. And in the basketball world, that's, you know, it's, it's a little bit, you know. And he said, I'm not coming. And you know when you have those moments and you're just like, oh, and you just admit defeat before you even begin? I'm like, I'm looking at this guy, literally like a head taller than me. I'm like... What am I supposed to do against that? And I'd given up. Then there was this one guy on my team that was real mouthy. And he just stepped up. He's like, he could see that we'd all, like, we'd all given up. We're like, nah, we're, we're not stepping up to this. This is just dumb. My guys let us down. This is just the worst situation ever. And then he fires up and he's like, no, we can do this. We are not going to give that guy an inch inside the keyway. If he comes in, I want a body on him instantly. And we started to believe. We're like, yeah, we can shut this guy down. We can contain him. And he's like, Phil, you've got to hold on to this guy. I want your hip in his back every five seconds of defense. That sounds weird if you don't know what basketball is. <laughs> it's like, I want your hip. It, yep. Anyway, it makes sense. Watch, watch a game of basketball and it feel less weird that I'd make that. So is that okay, basketball players? Did that sound weird? Was that okay? Need some help from the back. No, there. Yeah, we're good. We're good. And, uh, and, uh, and the game began, and we were motivated. We, we'd stepped up. Yeah, we're taking responsibility for this guy. We're going to hold on to him no matter what. Now, sporting stories don't always finish in that awesome way. And, you know, I, I did my best. I was right there, but I, I think he scored about 40 points that game, and we, we lost the grand final. And I'm still, as I said, holding a grudge against my friend Kieran. He, he's not here, no, that's fine. But there are moments in life where we've got to face something 
might be something silly like a game of sport or it might be something incredibly real in your life where you've got to decide, do I take responsibility on behalf of who Christ is in me in this situation or do I step back? Now, Daniel is more gifted than anybody in the whole kingdom of Babylon to step up and take responsibility. Let's see in Scripture what happens next. Daniel chapter 2 and starting in verse 14. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. It's a great way to speak to someone, wisdom and tact, I like that. He asked the king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? And Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. Now listen to this in verse 16. Daniel explained, the situation's explained to him, he understands what's going on. And immediately at this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Daniel takes responsibility for what could only be described as an impossible situation. He recognized that what God is doing in his life calls him to take responsibility on behalf of a problem that is bigger than himself. You know, what an encouragement as people of faith to say, what are the things that God might be calling me to step up and take responsibility for as a representative of the kingdom of Jesus? You know, I believe that for each and every one of us, there are going to be very specific moments from the smallest interaction with a person, perhaps to to large-scale decision-making with the fate of businesses and whatever it might be, that God calls us to take responsibility for His kingdom in precise situations in our life. And we've got to learn to hear the leading of God in those moments and say, you know what, I believe that there are situations in my world that because of who Christ is in me, I have 10 times the capacity to respond with love, grace, and hope. Isn't that the message of the gospel? That if Jesus is alive in me, if Jesus is alive in you, I believe that there are numerous situations that you are 10 times better placed to deal with than anyone else. 10 times better placed. Not because of who you are, not because of your abilities, not because of your skills, your intellect, but simply because the Spirit of the living God is alive in your heart and soul. Daniel recognizes that. He says, okay, let's go see the king. He takes responsibility. You know, last Sunday morning, as I was uh, getting ready for the service at our Malaloo campus, one of the, the members of our team leading in praise and worship uh, came in, and she, she was a little bit, she, she looked exhausted. She was a little bit flustered, a little bit emotional. And, and as it turned out, she'd, have, she'd had quite an intense night there, that on the street that she lives in just around the corner at, at Malaloo, one of her neighbors was, was just having an awful uh, an awful night there that tragically they'd been there their family had been ripped apart by drugs and had led to some bad situations and, and on that particular night things had gotten a bit violent and messy and police were involved and 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 that kind of oblique oblique story and she'd chosen throughout that night to go and be a support to to her neighbor this 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 younger girl and throughout the night she'd been over there, she'd sent her husband over there to fix slash tires and things like that, classic wifing, and, and just kind of was, was God's hope in the middle of that situation. 
And she got to, to church the next day. And for one thing, I was just like, so grateful for people like that, that have a night like that, then show up to praise Jesus in front of a few hundred people. So encouraging. And it's such power when we make a decision that no matter what we've been facing, to praise Jesus nonetheless. But I thought about her situation that week. And I thought about what I might have done if on my street something like that was going on and I was fully aware of it. Would I take responsibility to be the hope of Jesus in that moment? Or would I step back and be, ooh, that's a bit rough, let's, um, whatever. You know, there's specific moments like that. There's probably moments like that in all of your lives that you've experienced yourself personally. They might come to mind even now, you know what, in that moment, I was actually being a representative of God's kingdom, bringing hope and peace, bringing joy to a broken, impossible situation. You know, I really do believe that, that as the church, as followers of Jesus, we're called to be present in impossible situations with the hope of who God is. You know, I wonder, here's a question to begin wrestling with this morning. What are you taking responsibility for as a follower of Jesus in your life? What are the kinds of situations that you say, you know what, I'm 10 times better placed to deal with this than anyone else because Christ is in me. We all have those spaces in our life. What are we taking responsibility for? And then we see in Daniel, over the next few verses to come that we're going to follow in starting in verse 17, once he's chosen, he goes to the king, he asks for a little time, he says, Nebuchadnezzar, I can get this done, just give me a bit of time. And then we see uh, almost like a process in how Daniel approaches this impossible situation that I want to share with you this morning. But first we're going to read about it in verse 17. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azari. Remember from last week, they're their Jewish names that later got changed to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. And then during the night, in verse 19, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision, and then Daniel praised the God of heaven. You know, there's something really powerful in these few verses when it comes to once we decide to be the kind of people of faith that take responsibility for brokenness, I believe there's a certain way that we actually go about doing that effectively. And you see it expressed in the life of Daniel in these three short verses. So what's the very first thing that he does? He takes responsibility for this crazy, impossible situation, and the very next thing he does, he goes and hangs out with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He goes to a community of faith. You know, I think there's something so powerful in this, that, that in the lives that we live, in the situations that we face, in the challenges that we come to in our own journey of faith, there is something incredibly powerful that when we can return to a community of faith that can bring encouragement, support, and courage. Daniel returns to his friends, here's what we're facing Here's what we're facing. Here's what I believe God's calling us to do. How the heck are we going to do this? You can imagine that kind of conversation. You know, there's something so powerful in relying on community. You know, I wonder when you reach those crisis moments in your life, what does the community look like that you rely on? For some of us, we rely on no one. We have no community. We don't bring anyone into that battle. For a lot of us, that's our default setting. 
particularly some of us dudes, some of us dudes here. But when we put ourselves in that position, we rob ourselves from one of the greatest sources of strength that God's put in our world, and that's community with one another. That when we take those wrestles to a couple of friends that we trust, maybe it's in a connect group, maybe it's in a journey group, maybe it's in a wider community of faith expressed like this on a Sunday morning. But when you're in the middle of those wrestles, and you can rely on a broader community of people that have a shared trust in God, do you know what that does to your faith? It takes it from here and brings it to here. That when we come together in a church setting like this, maybe, maybe you've had the kind of week where you've arrived on Sunday morning, like, oh, the last thing I want to do right now is focus on God and praise Him. But then you get together with someone on your left and your right, and you're encouraged by their heart. And all of a sudden, that which is best in your own experience of faith rises to the surface. And we encourage one another as a community. So I wonder, as you, as a follower of Jesus, take responsibility for brokenness in yourself, in others, in our world, who is the community that you rely on? Because we all need it. Who are we providing encouragement and strength to? Who are we receiving encouragement and strength from? If this is the only thing you take from today, take this. Make sure that you have a community of faith that brings strength to who you are as a follower of Jesus. Daniel relies upon it. It's the very first thing that he does. And then we go a little bit further in the verse. The next thing he does, verse 18, gathers together in community. And then he urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven. It's interesting, Daniel uses that expression, God of heaven, to describe the Hebrew God, the big G God. Because in the culture they lived, as I said, they had a whole bunch of crazy gods. But always in Daniel's writing, he's communicating, no, there is one God above it all, the God of heaven. And they pray to him. And the next thing that we see here in the life of Daniel is that as he faces that challenge, he doesn't only rely on community, but he absolutely relies on who God is. And in community, they rely on God together. What do they do? They gather together. They pray, God, be the answer in this impossible situation. God, be for us in this moment. You know, I find it so amazing in my own life. Sometimes I just have these spiritual mental blanks as I'm living my life and journeying through different situations. And I just completely forget that one of my options is to rely on God. That in the experience of life, so naturally I'll, I'll, I'll shoot to other things and I'll rely on this, I'll rely on that, I'll rely on who I am or whatever it might be. That actually the trump card that I have as a follower of Jesus is to rely on my Savior. Is to rely on the fullness of who God is. You know, I wonder, how much are you relying on Jesus this morning? How much do you rely on who God is? You know, my thought, my, my encouragement is that when we learn to rely on God more and more and more, as Daniel does expressed through the, the first six chapters of Daniel, that God will actually lift our ability to be able to take responsibility for more. Because it's not about what I can do, to meet the brokenness in my world. It's about being a representative, the one who can actually bring hope, healing, and transformation. What would it look like for you to rely more on who God is? 
to include God more in your life, to assign more value to who God is. And then finally in verse verse 19, God, of course, responds to this. He responds to this expression of church community, if you like, coming together and seeking Him and praying to Him. And God reveals it to Daniel in a vision, reveals the mystery of the dream. And and Daniel's response, as immediate as his response to take responsibility, his response when God delivers is to praise Him. It's so important. That really what, God, what Daniel's doing through praise and always through praise, uh, whatever that looks like in each of our lives, gathered on a Sunday morning or, or day to day in our living rooms or going for walks or whatever, praise is always about acknowledging who God is and what He has done. That's what praise is. And this is what Daniel says, God, I acknowledge that you are the one that has redeemed this broken situation. You know, when there's a pattern in our lives of acknowledging the redemptive work of God, I believe that our capacity to carry His gospel of transformation increases as well. Because the only way the gospel can go forward is if we acknowledge that it's all about God and what He's done. The only way it can make any kind of a difference in my life, in your life, in anyone else's life, is when we acknowledge at a heart and soul that it's only ever about God and what He's doing. And what he has done. You know, we've got to learn what it means to praise. (laughs) I think we get it a lot of the time. But to live a life that acknowledges who God is. What does that mean for you? (laughs) To what degree does your life acknowledge who God is? And then I think what Daniel does in these few verses, is almost like a pattern for living a life of faith. Gather in community, rely on God, praise Him. Gather in community, rely on God, praise Him. And when the church starts living like that, man, that hidden kingdom of God starts to become real and makes a tangible difference in the lives of people. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 27, and as an overflow, I guess, of Daniel acknowledging who God is and what he's done, here's how he goes back to King Nebuchadnezzar. Verse 27, Daniel replies, No wise man, enchanter, magician or diviner, all different words to express the, the, the group of wise men of the kingdom, no one can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about. Now, this was the, the first response of the wise man, which prompted him to be like, okay, I'm going to kill all of you. Then Daniel pauses, and he says, but there is a big G, someone say big G, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And then Daniel proceeds to tell the meaning of the dream, which I'm not going to go into in massive detail, and I invite you to to read all of chapter 2 later on this afternoon. But, But the dream essentially was about the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. The dream, in the dream, he saw, he saw a statue, its head of gold, which represented Nebuchadnezzar's own kingdom. And then moving down the statue, there were portions made of different metals and materials, which represented the kingdoms that would follow. But then here's the most important part, that then a stone cut not from human hands, Daniel speaking into the reality of the God of heaven, the big G God, The rock comes down, hits the statue, and it breaks into dust. And then that rock cut not from human hands becomes a mountain, great, strong. 
and filling the whole world. And what the dream was all about is that human kingdoms, human power, human authority, they'll rise, they'll fall. But there is a kingdom that lasts for eternity and a kingdom that is sovereign over every kingdom. And it's not a kingdom of force, control, power, or war. It's a kingdom of love, grace, and peace. It's a kingdom expressed ultimately in the cross and everything that it represents. Now, this was quite a bold interpretation to give to King Nebuchadnezzar. Let's remember something about Daniel's history. Nebuchadnezzar and his armies had destroyed Judah. They'd taken all the articles of value from the temple. They'd taken the best of the young men. Now, in Nebuchadnezzar's theology, what had just happened was that his little G-gods had had victory over Daniel's Hebrew god. Because that's what it meant. We, we ransacked the temple. We took everything of value. That Hebrew god has been defeated by our little G, Babylonian gods. But then we see here, Daniel describing the reverse of that. No, that, that Hebrew God is the one God of heaven, whose kingdom is over everything. Now, this was a bold interpretation to give to King Nebuchadnezzar. It could have gone one of two ways. King Nebuchadnezzar kills him, says, no, your God's defeated. We cleared out your temple. He's less than our gods. Or he could respond with faith and belief. And here's what King Nebuchadnezzar says in verse 47, after Daniel describes the, in, the meaning of the dream and the sovereignty of the God of heaven, the Hebrew God. Then the king said to Daniel, surely your God, big G, is the big G God of all the little G gods. And the Lord of kings and revealer of mysteries, for you were able to reveal this mystery. Daniel was the evidence now of an unseen kingdom. National Israel, God's visible kingdom, had been broken. But God's eternal unseen kingdom alive in the hearts of those that place their faith in Him is still living and active in Daniel. Then the king placed Daniel in a high position, lavished many gifts on him, made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all of its wise men. Moreover, at Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego administrators over the province of Babylon, which Daniel himself, while Daniel himself remained at the royal court. Again, I want to draw your attention to this pattern in Daniel's life, that whenever he demonstrates devotion to who God is and where God's leading him, his influence and ability for that hidden kingdom of God is increased. Time and time again, we're going to see it about four more times in the next four chapters to come that every time Daniel relies on God, steps up and takes responsibility for what God is doing in his life on behalf of others, his influence and ability increases. You know, I believe in the context that we live in, that's also true. That when we place our faith in who God is and take responsibility for God's kingdom of love, grace, and hope, that we will become better and better and better equipped to demonstrate the gospel to a world that needs it so desperately. We continue to place our faith in God time and time again. Daniel is now the evidence of an unseen kingdom. 
Yeah, I want to finish with this idea this morning. I might invite the, the team to, to come back up. Is that, is that what's happening? Awesome. I, uh, I want to encourage you with this thought, to be the evidence of a greater kingdom, to be the evidence of that unseen kingdom of our Savior, Jesus. That in fact, each one of us, we're called to be that evidence. And for so many people in our worlds, the only way they will ever know that God is above and through it all is based on the evidence they see in my life and in your life. That's what God calls us to be as the church. It's a big responsibility, I know. But because of who Christ is in me, because of who Christ is in you, we can actually step up to that responsibility. We don't have to step back and say, Jesus, that's too much to be your hope in this world. But we can actually step forward and say, Jesus, I recognize your spirit's alive in me. I'm going to rely on your spirit within my soul. And Jesus, help me to be the evidence of your unseen kingdom. Yeah, I want to take you back to that first question. What are you taking responsibility for in your life as a follower of Jesus? I really do believe that as followers of Jesus, we have something that increases our capacity tenfold, even more. The Spirit of the living God alive in us, that makes a difference. But we need to believe it. We need to believe that Christ in me, Christ in me transforms me into becoming a person of incredible value for my world incredible value for my community, for the different people that I'm connected with. You know, I think we need to learn what it means to assign value to that truth, to almost have a revelation that Christ in me is profoundly significant for the world that I live in. I mean, your world, your workplace, your friendship groups, the challenges that you face, you actually matter a great deal. You can look at this story of Daniel and say, he mattered so much in the context of his story. Him relying on God mattered so much in the context of his story. Can I tell you that you relying on Jesus, it matters so much in the context of your story. We need to assign new value to the power of Christ in me so that it might be a transformative work of God's love through me to be the evidence of a greater kingdom. Can we stand together this morning? In just a few moments, we're, we're going to sing together. You know, I always believe that when the church comes together to acknowledge who God is, that His presence is in that. I believe the Holy Spirit of God is here with us this morning. And I want to encourage you this morning to pray a prayer. To say, God, help me to value who I am in you. Help me to believe that who I am in you actually matters profoundly because it does. That who you are is the evidence of His kingdom. It is so, so special. It holds so much power. The lives will be changed because of it. That I've got no doubt that for each and every one of us here, God has a plan for transformed lives, for transformed families as we are the evidence of His hope, grace, and peace. You know, in this moment, if you, if you want to be included in a prayer, say, Phil, I want to take this seriously. Help me to see the value that I have as a follower of Jesus. Help me to assign new value to it. 
so that I might take responsibility for His unseen kingdom in my world. If that's you this morning, we can just bow our heads in this moment. If that's you, I'd just love you to, to almost hold, hold your hands out in front of you. I love to pray this way, just as a symbol of expectation for God's Spirit to move. And if that's you this morning, you might even begin to pray. Say, Jesus, would you speak to me in this moment? Jesus, would you show me what you have for my life? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would be here in power in this moment, Lord God. God, for every person that stands before your presence this morning, it's their hands in front of them, Lord. I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would give them a revelation of who they are in you, Lord God. God, I pray that you would give them a confidence and a courage that doesn't come from who they are, but comes from who you are, Lord. Jesus, I want to thank you that each one of us stands here as sons and daughters of Christ to the Most High God. And God, we recognize that you have called us to be the evidence of your kingdom, to be the evidence of your gospel, of your cross. Jesus, help us to take responsibility for your kingdom in our world. And God, I ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would reveal to us those difficult situations. Sometimes they seem like impossible situations where we can be the demonstration, the evidence of your kingdom. God, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for your presence. And God, in these moments as we worship together, I ask that you would be present that you would bring encouragement. Jesus, help us to be a church that takes responsibility for your unseen kingdom, a kingdom that is greater, a kingdom that came before, and a kingdom that will last in eternity. Holy Spirit, would you move in this place as we praise you this morning? Thank you, Lord. Let's worship him.